Father, thank you that you are a speaking God. You delight to speak to us. You delight to reveal your heart and character to us. And today, as we, as we seek to understand Psalm 27 together as a church family, this is ever more true. It's consistently true. You delight to meet with us, to draw near to us, and when we draw near to you. And so I pray in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you be so tangibly present in our hearts and minds? Would we hear your word? Would we let it teach us and correct us and train us in all manner of righteousness, equipping us up for maturity and good works? Would you turn our hearts to you, Jesus, if they've been wandering, if they've never met you? Would your word go out in power, I'm asking? And I pray that all of my friends here would be praying similar to their own hearts. Would your word go to power, go out in power to them? We love you, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, it's been some time since I've been up here. My wife and I just uh, welcomed about seven weeks ago a little boy into the world. And so that's where I have been. It's, it's good to be with you. And I'm thankful to get to stand in this moment and commend this word in particular to this family. I don't know if you've felt this. I've been very aware of my weariness uh, in this season, my exhaustion, my tired uh, reality. I don't know if you feel something similar. Are you feeling weary? Are you feeling afraid? Does it feel like life just keeps piling things on? (laughs) Like, does it feel like you just cannot catch a break? Like, it's just one thing after another. A small thing, a big thing, a medium thing. Like, it just feels like it's one thing going on. And then you string enough of those types of days together, and it feels like you have looked back, and you have this entire season of like, I cannot catch a break. (laughs) We can't catch a break right now. Have you felt that before? Are you feeling that now? I recognize that not all of us may be in that spot, but maybe we have been, or maybe we may be coming to that spot, or maybe we're right smack dab in the middle of it. And we just feel this like feeling of beat down weariness, fear of the next domino that's about to fall, the next shoe that's going to drop, to where it's, it can be a ton of small inconveniences, or it can be a really massive, major, heavy loss. And it's invading our already overextended and at-capacity existence. We feel this reality where it's just like, I'm done. <laughs> have you been there? Have you felt that? If you have, or maybe you're not in that spot right now, but maybe it, your heart is getting prepared for what you can't see down the road, I feel like Psalm 27 is extending an invitation to you, to me, a path forward to help us in this feeling of weariness and fear. If you are weary and afraid, Psalm 27 wants you to know, wait. Wait in his presence. Strength and courage will reinforce your weary and fearful hearts. If you have been feeling exhausted, afraid, Psalm 27 is going to commend to you to just wait in his presence. Wait there. And as you do, strength and courage will reinforce your weary and fearful hearts. So let's explore this together today in Psalm 27. The first question that I think we have to answer, or at least beg the question of, why are we so weary and afraid? 
I, I like to ask a lot of why questions. It drives some people I know a little wild. I'm experiencing this in my car most often with my three-year-olds. Why? 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 I like to ask a lot of why questions. I think it's important for us to, to ask why as we jump into Psalm 27 here. Why are we weary and afraid? Why do we collectively with a deep sigh want to say, I'm done? <laughs> this piling on of things. I can't catch a break. Why is that the case? Well, the first observation I want us to see here in Psalm 27 is a simple one. You are in a battle for your soul. You are in a battle. The reason why you feel weary and afraid is because you're in a fight. It's not maybe a physical fight. It's not maybe a tangible fight, but you're in one. You're in a battle for your very soul. Did you see some of these words and some of this language coming out here in Psalm 27? Particularly look at verse 2. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. Like, do you feel the emoting language here that David is trying? It's like these people want to consume me fully and completely. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. It's important to know we're not 100% certain of when David wrote this psalm. Some think it's right before he ascended to the throne. Some think it's like right in the middle as he's, as he's being chased out by Saul, as he's getting hunted down, as he's, uh, as later on you see the context, if my mother and father forsake me, like he's lost all the close relationships in his life. And you can kind of feel that here in this moment. Like he recognizes he is in a battle for his soul. He is in a battle. If he is in a battle and you are in a battle, we have to answer the question of who are our enemies then? Who are your enemies? Who are the enemies of your soul that it just feels like it's just piling on, whether it's small, tiny inconveniences that just string along together all these long days, mundane days and weeks and months, where you just feel like you can't catch a break, or the heavy, intense loss, or wherever you might be feeling this battle, this tension that we're naming now for what it is, who are the enemies? Who are the evildoers, the adversaries, the foes? Who are those, who's the army that's encamping against me? Who wants to make war against you? Well, Scripture helps us see this. There's three particular places, three particular enemies. Your heart, Satan, and the world. Your heart, Satan, and the world. And I want you to see here on this screen, there's, this is how it sketches out. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, first, your heart. The heart... Your heart, my heart, is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? 1 John 3, 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And it talks about earlier how the heart is condemning you, like how your own heart is, is actually speaking into your existence and condemning you for how you are missing up your mishaps. Maybe you've heard it say like negative self-talk. It's this. Galatians 5, as Paul talks about the war of the flesh, like if you're in Christ, you have the spirit in you, but why do you keep feeling this tension in the here and now? What's going on? It's your heart. Your heart, it can be put in the category of verse 2 and 3, an army encamping against you, a war that's rising against you, the condemnation, the deceitfulness, the, the accusations that are being thrown at you. Not all things are the enemy, some things are your heart. Some things are from your story, what was spoken over you, what was spoken about you. Some things are just the lies that you keep saying to yourself and that you're believing. 
Your heart is one of your enemies. We also have an enemy, Satan. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of this air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Look at the is now at work. We cannot be ignorant to the reality that we have a very real enemy, and he is at work. For those of us who are in Christ, before we were in Christ, we were at work with him. This is an enemy, an evildoer, someone who is constantly trying to encamp against us and make war to us. It goes on in 1 Peter 5, 8, we see this. Be sober-minded. Don't be ignorant to this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You are in a battle. And your enemy is not just your heart, but it is Satan. It is the enemy of our souls. You also are not just battling your heart or Satan. You are also battling the world. And when I say the world, I don't generally mean like us versus them or it's not that connotation. It's actually more of like a general hostility, like just take a step in the world at large, live life for a second, and you will see that it is a hostile environment, is it not? The fear that we have to grapple with, the death that is in our face most often, the broken relationships, so much of this world is hostile. There's so much beauty in it, yes, but there's also a lot of hostility in it. And we see this in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. It's just showing this opposition, like, hey, there's, there's some general, like, contrast to understand here. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? These are our enemies. And as I say them out loud, do you not feel them? Can you not like name like, oh yeah, I remember that dust up with that particular enemy. Oh yeah, I remember dealing with my own heart on the way here. (laughs) I remember the hostile environment of my home on the way here. Do you not feel this and recognize it? It's important that as we jump into why are we afraid and weary, we have to name this reality. We are in a battle. You are in a battle. I would consider myself an amateur student of World War II history. I I really mean that, like amateur. Like I like movies and some shows. (laughs) I I I haven't read many books about it, but I love movies and shows about World War II. And one of the most interesting facets for me, every time I like watch something or hear something or listen to something about World War II is Pearl Harbor. Like how unprepared the Americans were when the Japanese attacked. And I did some like research. I was like, why was that? Like, why were we so unprepared? So there's this tactic that the Japanese used. It's called D&D. And no, it does not stand for Dungeons and Dragons. It stands for denial and deception. They used this D&D, denial and deception. And what what they realized was uh, as they were sailing their carriers down to to buttress and uh, reinforce the French Indonesia, they they realized that the British Empire and the Americans could actually locate, based on their radio signals, where their carriers were. They figured it out. And they figured out that we could do that, and we didn't know that they figured it out. So they actually kind of went around the side, and they figured out a way to, like, send out false signals. And so the whole fleet literally was just able to sneak across the Pacific. 
And as I was thinking about the fact of you and me being in a battle, I think the reality for us is that we all have to grapple with the deception and denial that we're in this. Like the small inconveniences of life, we don't need to like say that it's just maybe the enemy every single time, but we're battling our flesh. We're also battling a hostile environment. Like to actually have a well-rounded worldview that Jesus would have, we have to recognize that we cannot engage in D&D, denial and deception. Because that's what the enemy is doing. He's prowling around. That's why 1 Peter 5 is so clear and true. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Don't pay attention to the false signals that are coming around. A common uh, D&D for my heart, a common denial and deception for my heart is blame-shifting. When something really hard enters into the system, I'm constantly looking to blame someone for it. I'm like, this is like my immediate posture. It's like, well, if so-and-so did this, then this wouldn't have happened. If this would have happened this way, then, then maybe it would have changed the outcome. If I, uh, if, let's see, earlier this week even, <laughs> I had to pick up my son from school. My wife and I are engaged in like, who's gonna pick him up? She's with a newborn, I'm not, and I'm like, well, if you would just put him in the car seat and in the car, you could pick him up. And she's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's this denial and deception reality. Like we're ignorant to our own battles that we're facing. And part of that is because we blame shift. Part of it might be another common one that I see most often is, is just taking on the view and reality of a victim. Like small things are hard. This world is hard. It is a hostile environment. But do you ever find yourself making small things really big things? There's a difference in sharing life, really knowing what's going on, and really sharing with one another what's happening, the hard things. But are these small inconveniences that you've just made into this huge, massive, heavy burden? That is denial and deception. And it steals our joy. It steals our confidence in the Lord. It steals our strength and courage. Maybe it's blame shifting. Maybe it's playing the victim. Maybe it's just a minimization. This isn't that hard. I don't want to stare at this. So I'm just going to keep pretending like it doesn't exist. And you do for as long as you can until you can't. Until something happens and breaks out and you realize I can't ignore this anymore. My friends, you are in a battle for your soul. Psalm 27 is pointing that out to us. Now, the next question in my mind as we read this is, what do we need in the midst of this battle? If this is true, if we really are in a battle for our souls, if our enemies are our flesh, if our enemies are the world around us, if our enemies are Satan, then what do we need in the midst of this battle? Well, David starts out this way with it in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I have asked of the Lord, verse 4, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. What do we need if we're in in a battle for our soul? We need strength and courage. We need strength and courage for this battle. And strength and courage, friends, are available to you in the heart of God. Did you see it? The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. He's the stronghold of my life. This intimate personal knowledge of who God is in this moment. And then in verse 4, don't you find it interesting? David's not asking for more weapons of warfare. 
He's not asking for a change in circumstance. He's not asking for these things to disappear or his enemies to be shot down or for them to be pushed away. What does he ask for? The one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Isn't that a curious thing? Like, David loves Yahweh. He loves God. He knows his power. He slayed Goliath. Like, he knows what he's capable of. But what does he ask for in this moment? Not a change in circumstance. He says, what I need is to dwell with you. There is strength and courage for the battle. It's right there with you. So where is the there? Where is here? What does he ask for? He's asking to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, as it says, to inquire in his temple. Why does he ask for this? Why does he ask to be in the house of the Lord forever? Three reasons that we can see here. First is because of who God is. He asks for this because of who God is. In verse one, he is my light, he is my salvation, he is my stronghold of my life. If we have a proper view of who we are and who God is, then the only thing that we can ask for is to be with him. The only thing that our hearts would truly desire and recognize that we need is to just be right there with him in that moment. Because if this is true, all the darkness that we've explained, all the darkness that we face, all the darkness that creeps into our heart, he is light. And if darkness is present and light breaks in, darkness has to go away. And if we really see him for who he is and recognize who we are in light of that, then we, of course we would ask to dwell with him forever. Because of his light, his salvation, he's the stronghold of my life. Did you feel it? It's here in this place that David is able to, with confidence, look at his enemies. Pay attention, like his enemies have not gone anywhere. David is looking at his enemies. Did you see here in verse one, whom shall I fear? Can you imagine that type of confidence? Think of what has been plaguing you in your heart, your emotion, your thought, your life, your circumstance. What if you could look at it dead in the face and say, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not going to let your fear rule me anymore. What if you could do that? That's what David is inviting us into in this moment. He knows, why would I ask to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Because of who God is. He's the stronghold of our life. He's the stronghold of your life. The second reason, because where God dwells resides his very heart. Where God dwells resides his very heart. Where is the there here? Like, is, is David in the midst of this talking about the temple? Is he talking about the tabernacle? It's important to put our minds in an Old Testament view and idea. Like, in the Old Testament, where God's presence dwelled on earth, it was in the tabernacle, and it was eventually in the temple. It was in the most holy of holy places, which we've talked about through Hebrews and other places. It's in that place. So is David talking about this? Some scholars think he is, but others, and I'm, 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 I'm kind of, I'm on this boat with them, think, no, he's just talking about, it's the forever peace. Like, if I can just be caught up in the presence of God, I will meet his very heart there forever. Did you see it? I will gaze upon his beauty. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To inquire. This word inquire, it also means or meditate. Like, this idea of if I can just get there with him, then I will be so intimately connected to him. I, can, I would be able to see and experience and feel his beauty. 
the creator of the universe, the king of all. Like, if I could just be there with him in his presence, not just running away into this temple or this tabernacle, but just be ushered into his presence. If I could do it here, then I would reside in his very heart. God is delighting in this with David. And David wants to dwell with God so intimately and be connected to him so perfectly. And you see this confidence emerge. It's flowing into this. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? The third reason, because of what will happen when David is so intimately connected with him. Did you see it? Look, look at the word for here in verse 5. Anytime in your Bible you see the word for, you should pay attention for a second because it's giving you a reason. It's giving you a cause. Why does David want to do this? It's not just because of who God is. It's not just because he's going to reside in his very heart, but it's also because of what will happen when he does. God will hide him in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my, high, my head shall be lifted high I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Did you see it? In the presence of God, in the very heart of God, there's a hiding place. There's a refuge, a safe place. There's a cover for your entire existence, his tent. It's your existence. He will cover it. He will lift you high. If you've been lowly in that place of weariness and fear, he will lift you up where fear and, and, and weariness can begin to fade away. It's strength and courage happen. And on top of this, what else will happen? We will exude joy. Did you see this here in verse 6? I will sing and make melody of the Lord. I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy. Again, remember, his circumstances have not changed. His enemies have not gone anywhere. But yet in this place, in this moment, because he is the one thing that he's asked to dwell in the presence of God, what happens? He will exude joy, and he will sing. Can you imagine a life where you're dealing with the battles every day, and you get to stare into them and sing and worship a living God? Have you thought to do that with the battles of your life? Friends, I have started to do this, and it has changed my existence. In the places where I feel most afraid, I look at it in the face, and I sing. I sing, and I worship to the Creator who loves me and delights me. I feel like I get ushered into His very presence. I get to dwell there with Him. This is what's available to us. Strength and courage flood in. It's available to you in the very heart of God. As I was thinking about this, I was um, contemplating the reality of my life right now. We have a newborn, which is joyful. It's wonderful. I love him, River, River Joshua. Um, he's almost seven weeks old, so not a lot of sleep in our house. Um, but also, it's actually not so much him. It's my three-year-olds. <laughs> They're not really giving us a lot of sleep right now. It's been a journey. Uh, before he was born, a few months before he was born, like Deacon just all of a sudden became aware of his fear center of his mind, like in his development. Like he's just like afraid of every noise. And one night in particular, I'm sitting there at his bedside. We have a little nightlight. We've started to play like little instrumental soft music. And I'm sitting there and he just starts crying. And I'm like, buddy, what is it? And he's like, the sound will come. And I was like, what sound? And he's like, thunder and lightning will come. 
And he's just crying. He's like, can I sleep in your bed? Can I be with you? And I wish that I could tell you that I got the dad of the year, you know, ribbon (laughs) for how I reacted, because I I didn't. I was exhausted and tired. But I was thinking about this moment of like, what does it mean to dwell in the very heart of God, to have strength and confidence for the battles of our life? I thought of my son, Deacon. Deacon was teaching me. Like, he doesn't know much, but he knows when he's afraid, where does he want to be? He wants to be with his dad. When you're afraid, is your heart response to be with your heavenly father? We've told him, like, hey, buddy, just start here. But if you wake up and you're afraid, you come to our bed. And it's been a pretty constant refrain every night. I hear that into our bed as he climbs over my face and wakes me up. But he just nestles in. And it's amazing because him knowing that he has access to me whenever he needs it helps him go to sleep at night. It gives him the strength and courage of the unknown of what might come at night to go to sleep. So he sleeps in his bed. He starts there. He finishes with us, but he starts there. And what would it look like for you, friends, and for me to start there in that place to know that our Heavenly Father's got us? Like to know that if we just are in his presence, if we just dwell in his heart, Strength and courage is available to us for these battles every day. You are in a battle for your soul. You have strength and courage available to you, and it's available in the heart of God. But before we name how we access this strength and courage, I think it's important, and so does David, with six verses right in the middle here, to name a real temptation that each of us face. A real temptation that each of us face. This is the temptation. Weariness and fear, the everyday grind of this, the weariness and fear that you experience, it's going to tempt you to run away from his heart. It's going to tempt you to run away from his heart. And what David is, is, is posturing to us in this moment is he's saying, instead of running away, instead of doing that, would you engage with honest heartache and lament? If you are weary and afraid and that temptation is there in that weariness and in that fear to just jump ship and run another way to drive yourself away from the Lord, what we're going to see is instead to engage with honest heartache and lament. Do you see it here in verses 7 through uh, 13? Like the first six verses are so confident. It's like, whom shall I fear? I'm going to sing. I'm going to exude joy. And then you get to verse 7 through 13, and you're like, David, why are you talking about being forsaken and cast out? And what is going on? What's happening? And what I think David is trying to show us, what I think the Lord is trying to show us is we have a very honest cry from David in this moment. Like his situation hasn't changed. His circumstances haven't changed. And he's got to grapple with that. All of verses one through six are not all of a sudden untrue because his circumstances haven't changed. But how do we engage in the midst of that? How do you hold both of these things in tension? And this is what David is trying to show us. Did you see it here in the words? Verse 7, I cry aloud. Verse 9, hide not, turn not, cast me not off, forsake me not, forsaken me, I have been forsaken. Verse 12, the will of my adversaries, false witnesses have risen against me, they breathe out violence. Like, as confidence floods in the system, he's actually being really honest in this moment of like, yeah, this is still really hard. Look at this army encamping against me. My heart and the world and Satan are still encamped against me. And we have to honestly name that. Otherwise, we will give in to the temptation 
that when weariness and fear flood the system and overpower us, we will drive away from the very thing that we need most, which is his heart and his presence. So, how do we do this? How do we do this in this moment? I want to give you um, about nine quick things that I think David is showing us and how we engage in honest heartache and lament. Really quick, that he sees here in 7 through 13. Quick things and how, he in, how we can engage honestly in the heartache and lament. Verse 7, this is what David is telling you. Like, hey, in the battles of your life, when you're feeling weary and afraid, be loud. Be loud with the Lord. Be heard. How are you heard? Be heard by crying aloud. Did you see it? Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. This begins to disrupt some of our religious sensibilities a little bit that our hearts might be prone to. Like, I can't. I can't bust into the presence of God and be loud in front of him and demand that he hear me. But this is what David is doing. It's like, the one thing I need is you, God, and I am petrified of these enemies around me. And so, the first thing to honestly engage in the heartache and the lament is be heard by crying aloud. When's the last time you did that in the hardest parts of your story in life? Friends, I ask that question not out of guilt, but out of an invitation to freedom. If you feel free to lament and know that your Father in heaven wants you to, he wants to hear you cry aloud, you will experience an intimacy with him that you've never experienced before. Be heard by crying aloud. In verse 7, we continue, ask to be heard based on God's character. Did you see this? Be gracious to me and answer me. This graciousness, like David is, he's, he's anchoring his petition in the very heart and character of God, like, God, you're gracious. So if I come to you, you're not going to cast me off in this moment. I can, I can lament this way. I can have heartache that's real and honest and true. He goes on, the third point here, remember God's word. Verse 8, did you see it? You have said, seek my face. One of the first things to go in our battle of our soul with all the enemies around us is is remembering the word of God, at least in my own heart. (laughs) That can be one of the first things to go. As Jason was leading us in worship and sharing with us in our confession of sin, like all of the voices that flood in, it seems like it drowns out the very voice of God. But what David is showing us here is the proper engagement to push back against the temptation to drive away from his heart. The very thing we need is to actually remember his word. Remember what he said, seek my face. Then, once you remember God's word, pray his word. Did you see this in verse 8? My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. He's praying. It's like he's remembering God's word and then he's praying the word. He's like, God, you told me to seek my face, so I'm here. My heart is saying I'm seeking your face. Verse 9, speak about the fear honestly. Here is David's fear. If the one thing he needs is God's presence, the one thing he's most afraid of is that his presence would be taken away from him. Did you see it? Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. He's speaking honestly about his fear and weariness. What does that conversation look like between you and God? The honesty of your fears, the honesty of your exhaustion. Is it, 
Is it a desire to be in his presence? Is it a desire to change the circumstance? What does that conversation look like? And what God is inviting you into in this moment is to speak honestly, engage in this heartache, engage in this fear. Verse 10, speak about your heartache honestly, not only your fear, but your heartache. Did you get, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. There's no real history here of like seeing that David's parents forsook him. Um, that he was forsaken by them. There's no like history of that necessarily, but you do get the sense like my personal relationships are deteriorating. <laughs> like they're blocked off, they're cut off in this moment and it hurts. And he's speaking honestly to God about this. He's like, God, my heart is aching. My heart is aching. Do you regularly share your heartaches with, with God? Do you think he wants to hear them? because he does. He wants to hear where your heart is burning, where there's real churn, where there's real pain, where there's real distress. He wants you to engage in this truthfully and honestly. Seventh way to engage in this, admit that you do not know what to do and feel shaky and weak. Did you see it here in verse 11? Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Level path means exactly, it's like driving down Washington. (laughs) It's like bumpy and chaotic and unlevel. And what he's saying is like, I don't know what to do here, but I need you to teach me and put me on level path in this moment. Admitting, I don't know, I don't have the answers. I've heard it said that the most dangerous thing that a human can do is look up to the sky with his fist curled like this and say, give me what's fair. If we are honestly engaging and lamenting in our heartache and the weariness and fear, we will let that posture melt away and take a posture like this and say, I don't know what's going on and I don't know what to do, but I know you have the words of life and I know you can teach me. I know you can put me on a path that's level. Verse 12, ask God to move. Did you see it? Give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violently. David's asking, he's like, hey, please don't let me be consumed by this. Don't let me be taken over by this. Please, in this moment, move. And finally, in verse 13, trust in God's goodness no matter the outcome. Again, the enemies have not gone away. And David's feeling this. You can kind of get the sense of this. His heart, like weariness and fear are just right at the door. He's looking at his enemies. He's showing us, hey, look at your enemies, your heart, Satan, the world. Like, look at them converge. They're encamped against you. You're going to be tempted to drive away from the one thing that you need, which is his presence, his very heart. That is where strength and courage is. So how do we access the strength and courage as we finish. Verse 14, did you catch it? Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is one of the most topsy-turvy strategic planning moves I've seen. It's like you're in a battle for your life. Weariness and fear are going to tempt you to run away from God. Your enemies are encamped around you. And here's the battle plan. Wait. Wait. Wait right here. Don't move. And here's something that's really important, friends. Waiting is not a passive activity. It is an active one. That's what we have been seeing. David is this whole psalm waiting in God's presence. 
He's not waiting on God's presence. He's waiting in God's presence. And what does that waiting look like? It looks like a strength and courage that comes in. It looks like an honest heartache and lament. It is a desperate plea. The one thing I need in this moment is your heart, God, and it is your presence. This is activity. But it's not the activity our hearts are prone to. It's not the frantic activity of planning and scheming and trying to take the next hill of our life to make our circumstances easier, make them go away. It's not that. It's, it's like, a, like what my friend Michael Atmar says, it's like a plank. You ever done one of those? Like you're just, you're waiting right there. Everything in you is on fire to hold yourself in that position for as long as you can hold. This is waiting in the Lord. This is what we mean with the series of hold that pose because you are in a battle for your soul. You are in a battle for your soul and the thing you need most is his presence. So how do you access it? Wait there in it because strength and courage will reinforce your weary and fearful hearts. One of my favorite books and stories and movies is Lord of the Rings, particularly book two, The Two Towers. Um, I'm really letting my nerd card fly here. I've mentioned Dungeons Dragons and Lord of the Rings. Like, the two towers. Like, I love the two towers. I love Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep, it's this story of this people, the people of Rohan. Like, they are outnumbered. Their enemies are against them. They've encamped around them. They are, they have to run to what has been historically their only refuge, which is Helm's Deep in the mountain. I have a, I have a picture here of from the movie, if you've probably seen it, but right up here in the corner, that's Helm's Deep, and you can see it breached, and everyone's, he, uh, this is the enemy, uh, it's the, what remains of who is left from Rohan is coming here, and you see this reality of, they've had to, they've been waiting, they have been waiting for this whole crew right here to come, Rohirrim, it's like thousands of cavalry to come break up the orc assault, the enemies that are encroaching and breaching Helm's Deep. And I think that's what we're called to. Like, as, if you watch the movie, it's stirring, because it's like, you just feel this inspiration of strength and courage. You're like, yes, like, here they come down the hill. And that's what God is beckoning us into, to wait. Like, as you wait, as the enemies are encrouched around you, as the battle of your soul is waging, wait in his presence And you will see strength and courage reinforce your weary and fearful hearts. I don't know when. And I think that's probably the scariest part. I don't know when it will reinforce it. I don't know exactly how, but I do know who will reinforce it. As Jesus looked on the enemy of our souls at the tomb of Lazarus in John 11, he wept. He looked at our enemies, the battle, the ultimate victory of the battle that you and I wage, which is death. And he wept. And he also looked up to the Father and he plunged into his heart and he thanks God. He actually thanks God for the stench that's coming out of the tomb. He said, God, thank you that this is about to happen so I can show you my glory. What is he showing? So that he could show that all strength and courage that's needed in our battles is had in him. When the enemy was completely surrounding, when death had won in that moment, Jesus bellowed out and said, Lazarus, come out. And he came out to show, I have the strength and courage you need. I have the victory that you need over your battles on the cross. Jesus, who's wearied and afraid. I don't know that 
we often, I don't know that I often think of Jesus this way. Jesus was afraid on the cross and he was exhausted. He said, I thirst. He was weary and he was afraid. He was weary and he was afraid and he was driven away from the heart of God because he became sin who knew no sin. He became your sin, my sin, who knew no sin so that we didn't ever have to be driven away or forsaken. And he looks up and he honestly laments to God. He said, why are you forsaking me? He knew this while he was bearing the brunt of his weariness and fear in that moment, our weariness and fear. And he cries aloud, it's finished. And he does that so that you and I don't have to wait on the presence of God. We now can wait in the presence of God. Friends, there was a time where you had to wait on it, like Helm's Deep. You're like, I don't know if they're going to come down the mountain. I don't know if God's going to come through. But I need you to know that Jesus has already come through. He said on the cross, it's finished. And on the third day, he rose out of the tomb. Our greatest enemy, death, has been defeated. And if that's true, then our everyday battles that you and I wage and face that are real and hard and that cause real heartache and and trouble, he will answer them because he said it's finished. So friends, are you weary and afraid? If you are, wait. Why? Because he waited and he won. He will reinforce your hearts with strength and with courage. So wait in that place and Jesus will shine his beauty on your face and you will experience the very heart of God and presence there. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you that you have been honest with us, that we really have experienced and experienced real battle, real heartache, real pain, real strife. And God, it's in this place and in this space, God, that that you're naming to us that strength and courage is available. Like if we just wait in your presence, you will flood in. Jesus, thank you that you have made a way, that you yourself were wearied and afraid, that you yourself showed your power over our enemies, that you yourself are wanting to run into our situations, run into our life, run into our very hearts. And that you want to deliver strength and courage. You want to say to us, it's okay. I'm here. It will be okay. And so to my friends in the room who have not trusted in you, Jesus, I pray, would you run with speed into their heart? Would you teach them to wait on you and with strength and courage flood in and reinforce? And for my friends in the room who have followed you for some time, that feel exhausted, that feel afraid, that are waiting for the next domino to fall, that are waiting for the next pain to come, which it will come, would you teach them to wait in your presence? Would you teach them to delight in the one thing that would be rest and a boon to their souls? You. You want to meet with them. You're speaking to them. You're inviting them. Would we all actively wait and desperately plea to be with you and lament and have heartache when it's true and honest and real? And from that place, with strength and courage reinforce? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.